have the honor of introducing our special guest ministry this morning. Pastor Craig Lotz uh, from Victory Faith in Spokane Valley uh, has been he and his wife, not just him, but he and his wife, Moni, Pastor Moni, um, have been a big part of, of this ministry because they have spoken into us and encouraged us. Many times Moni has come and spoken at um, women's gatherings. I think she's might have spoken twice at one of our women's um, functions. She's spoken to our leadership. Um, they have both ministered. Um, over the years to us. It's been about 10 or 12, I think oh, yeah. is what I said. And she yeah. might be watching this morning. She you might. Never know. She might. Um, I'm Moni, just in case. <laughs> just in case. Hi. We miss you. We do. Um, I would love it if you would, along with Jeff and I, honor Pastor Craig Lotz as he comes and speaks to us this morning and drops a word on us. Come on, okay? put your hands Jesus together. Name. Give him a warm welcome. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Love you. Love you. You know it's going to be a good day in the house when you wake up. I got to stay with your pastors at their house, and you hear an angel singing upstairs. Oh my gosh, does that girl have a voice or what? Beautiful, beautiful voice. Hi, I'm Craig. How are you? Glad to meet you. Um, It is a treat and an honor to be here with you. I'm just marveling at all that you guys have done since we were here last You've, you've grown, you've added, you've done a whole bunch of things, and it's amazing. You look marvelous. You look great. Um, I love, we also love your pastors. I, I was just praying and thinking about them this last week, and I felt like the, the, the word that kept coming to me is world-class leaders. They are world-class leaders. Can you give them a hand? They are amazing. <laughs> Not only do they oversee and shepherd along with the leadership team here, an amazing church, and it feels so healthy around here. It feels awesome. Uh, Not only do they do that, but they help leaders and pastors and churches around the country, all over the country. They they really are world-class leaders, and I love and appreciate their wisdom. Uh, God's just graced them through experience, through gifting, and, and the anointing on their lives. They are a, a big blessing. So uh, Moni and I are in Spokane at Victory Faith, and we have four kids and 12 grandkids. Could I hear a hoo for grandkids? <laughs> hoo come on. Grandkids, send them home. Sugar them up and send them home. Come on. They love you. They love you. Mom and dad don't like it, but they love you. So we're going to talk some more about legacy, get into legacy. And um, I watched Pastor Jeff's message last week. It was so good. One thing I really appreciated about your message last week is you didn't just bring a message. It was who you are. It's, and and there's, you can't beat that when you, you get someone, a pastor, someone, a communicator, that when they share something, that it's not just a message, it's who they are. It's in their DNA. And I love that as I was listening to him, and I, I had already sent my notes in before I watched it, and I thought, ooh, we're, I'm, I'm overlapping a bit uh, with some of what he said, but you know why that is? Great minds think alike. <laughs> I knew that was your next thought. That was your next thought. So let's talk about legacy. Legacy is passing something on. The principle of passing things on is fundamental to life. Do you know that God even put in our bodies the ability to pass things on? 
um, if you were down at Victory Faith this morning, you would be standing there and a kid would walk by and you would, could say something like this, that's a Sabastinus, that's a seaman. Because their features, you, you would know by looking at the child whose kid they belong to or whose parents they belong to. So you and I, it's actually in us. It's in our DNA. It's in our bodies to pass on things to the next generation. And that's what God has done with us and wants us to grow in this area from generation to generation. Our natural and spiritual legacy is dependent on how effective we steward what we have been given. And we can't do that if we don't know what we've been given. So hopefully today, as I'm sharing, Holy Spirit can get around my quirks and He can deposit something in your heart and your spirit that will cause you to get even hungrier than you are now for passing on legacy to the next generations and, and blessing their lives. I want my great-grandkids to talk about Crazy Craig. Crazy Craig, Crazy Papa Craig that ran after Jesus so hard, so passionate, that he was a crazy worshiper, that he was crazy generous. I want my great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids to still be talking about me years from now. So um, listening to the message last week from Pastor Jeff, he talked about some things that we pass on that are so important to pass on. And I just want to repeat a couple of them because they were so good. The Word of God is something that needs to be passed on. I grew up in a family that we never went to church. We didn't know God. And um, my dad, I got saved uh, at the age of 20. None of the rest of my family was saved at that point. And my, my dad got saved later in life. And I will tell you one of the greatest highlights of my life was when my dad sat down on a Christmas morning and read the Christmas story to my kids. It was one of the richest moments in my life that I grew up and he didn't want to hear it from me about the Lord, but um, he had gone through a divorce and him, my mom, and he got remarried and oh, did God sneak up on him and he married an on fire woman of God and uh, I will love her all the days of my life. She got him saved. Um, but I want to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about three ways we pass on legacy, three ways we can pass on. There's more, but I just wanted to hit on three ways we pass on legacy. The first one is we pass on what we say. Well, I can't tell you how many times through the years I've sat down and talked with someone, helping them work through some issues, and they quote what their father told them 30, 40 years ago. It's still burning a hole in their heart because it wasn't good what was said. Or to sit down, and I love it when I sit down with somebody and they say something positive that their mom or their dad or their grandma or their grandpa told them years ago, and it still has stuck with them today. We pass on what we say. What are we saying? What are we saying? In Nehemiah chapter 13, it says, the people of Judah knew that their future depended on their ability to preserve their language. That was so important to them. They knew that. Yet they intermarried, and in that next generation, half of their kids couldn't speak their language. It was, it was a, a devastating thing. They failed to steward their speech. So a question I have is, are we speaking the language of faith? I'll tell you what, you turn on the TV today, there is hardly any faith out there in the world. I mean, it is gloom and doom and burn and turn. It's just terrible out there. We should stand out like a beacon of light as we speak faith to the coming generations and give them hope. But are we stewarding our language? So I have a, a, just a favorite story to tell you about. This We pass things on by what we say. My grandpa Kelly... Um, was my dad's dad, 
And uh, he had a big influence on my life. My middle name is Kelly. Thank you very much. My son's name is Kelly. So you get a little flavor of maybe this guy had a little bit of influence in our life. He was the hardest working man I've ever known in my life. And uh, he owned sawmills. He owned mines. He owned, he would literally buy a mountain, log it off, portions of it, put roads into it, and sell it off to companies like Boise Cascade. He was an entrepreneur, but man, this guy, he would work, work, work. And uh, before I got to know him, uh, when my dad was very young, he was in a sawmill kicking something out of a planing mill and it grabbed a hold of his leg and cut off his, chewed off his leg. So all the years I knew him, he had a wooden leg, an artificial leg. But he still outworked everybody. And, and I, I, love, I love a story. My parents were going to build a new house down in Spokane. So my grandpa brought a big D8 cat of his, which is a, a big bulldozer, to level out and make the daylight basement ready for them to build the house. And my best friend in high school was Rich, was his name. And he knew my grandpa real well. He'd been around him for years. And we were watching, and my grandpa got down off the, the dozer. And I just remember, made me think about, look at this guy. He's got a wood leg. And I tell Rich, my friend, I say, hey, Rich. I said, have I ever told you Grandpa Kelly's got a wooden leg? And he goes, why would you say that? He goes, that's terrible. Why would, why would you say that? So I grab him by the hand and drug him over there, and I knocked on my grandpa's leg and said, it's the wood, it's wood. It's so my, my grandpa's laughing, looking at me like, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? But that just shows what a hard worker he was and, and such an impact on my life. But I, I want to tell you, how he passed some things on by what he said to me. I remember sitting in his living room up by the Canadian border, north of Colville, sitting in his living room, and him, I'm five years old, and him teaching me a saying that he loved. And so he sat me down. He says, okay, Craig, repeat after me. Okay, Grandpa, repeat after me. Count the day lost. Count the day lost. When low descending sun, when low descending sun, views from thy hand, Views from thy hand, no worthy action done. No worthy action done. Good, Craig, that's good. Good job. Count the day lost. I taught it to my kids. I taught it to my grandkids. Count the day lost when low descending sun views from thy hand, no worthy action done. I still, that was 60 years ago, I still hear the voice of my grandfather. I can hear what my grandfather said to me 60 years ago. How many of you and I our kids are going to repeat what we said 60 years from now. Do you want that? Do you want that? I know you do. Don't you want your kids and your grandkids to quote you of good things that you said, God things that you said, wonderful things that you said of encouragement to them that gets passed on through the generations? Put that picture up if you would. This is my grandpa Kelly. That's him on the right. That's Grandma Ebert. That's my troublemaking sister Susan on the left. And that cute squirt on the right is me right there. Hallelujah. So it says in Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. So we're supposed to be telling the next generation about our stories about God and proclaim his power. Will our descendants repeat what we have to say? Will it be good or will it be bad? Will we speak life to them? So the first way is we're going to pass on what we say. The second thing is we're going to pass on what we write. Now this is interesting because our culture has almost done away with writing. 
And, and I'll, I'll grant you, okay, can I type it? Yes, go ahead and type it. But just putting it down on paper, putting it down somewhere, there's something powerful and enduring about writing down our stories, writing them down and passing them on to the next generation. Can you imagine all of a sudden, let's say you're 30 years old. For some of us, that's so exciting. Just think you're 30 years old and you have found a letter that your grandma wrote to you and she passed away when you were young. You never really got to know her, but she was an on-fire Christian. And in this letter, you open it. She knew your name and she pro wrote prophecy over who you would be. And then in her letter, she tells her story of faith, how she met Jesus, how she prayed for you before you were ever born. What would you do with that letter? Come on. Would that find a special place in your house or what? Come on, we need to write down our stories. We don't understand sometimes how powerful and important our stories are. Do you know that the, the, the writers in the Bible, most of them didn't know their stories were going to be read thousands, thousands of years later. They were just faithful to obey God and write down their stories so it could be passed on to the next generation. So uh, in the Bible, we see that the prophets were often required to write down their revelations. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write, write the revelation, write it, make it plain so that those that read it can run with it. So my question to you is, have you written down your stories? Have you written down your stories? Have you written them down so that they can be passed on or have you typed them out so that they could be passed on? So number one, one way we do is we, what we say. Number two is what we write. Number three, we pass on what we value. What's important to us? Do you know that some things that are important to you today are because it was important to somebody before you? We pass on what we value. So I have another story. I'm blessed to have an amazing family background. Um, my grandma Mertz. So this is, is there any Myrtles here? I just love seeing grandma Mertz's name. Do I have a Myrtle here in the house today? All right. Myrtle. Is that just a cool name? You don't hear it that much anymore. Grandma Mert was my mom's mom. Grandma Myrtle um, her husband died. She became a widow when my mom was very, very young. She didn't have hardly any money, but she had a dream. She had a value that she wanted to have a cabin that the family could come to and enjoy family time together, but not just then, but in the generations to come. So she bought a one-acre piece of ground at Deep Lake. So Deep Lake's kind of straight up out of Colville, almost up to the Canadian border, beautiful little lake. She bought a one-acre piece of ground on the hillside above the lake and then a little piece down on the lake of about 40 feet on Deep Lake. And she built a, built a one-room cabin, not a one-bedroom, a one-room cabin. It had a wood stove in it. It had no water, no plumbing. It had an outhouse, but we had a two-seater outhouse. Come on. You got to know you like somebody when you go out to the two-seater. <laughs> Put up that first picture, would you? And just stay on this picture for a bit. That's the cabin. That's the cabin. Now, it's had its first big addition. That is a porch being added on to it, but that's the one-room cabin, and through the generations, it would get added on to and added on to. And it was a big celebration day when indoor plumbing was put into it, had a bathroom. Pastor Moni started coming up more often to the lake after the indoor bathroom showed up. And it just grew and it grew and it grew for, for generations. And it was so powerful because each generation 
would take it to the next level. Each generation would say, we got to make it better for those coming behind us. And so it would add on another room and add on another room. And so, so we had um, my, my Grandma Mert, my, mom, my grandma was there. My mom was there. I was there. Now my kids have been there and my grandkids have been there. Five generations have been through this cabin. Now about eight years ago, it burned to the ground. Yeah, oh, it's a sad day. Fortunately, nobody got hurt. But my mom and my stepdad... God bless their hearts. At, she was 81 years old. She says, Grandma Mert had a plan for this to be built for the generations. We're going to build it better. Show that next picture. So they built that. Five bedroom, three and a half bath. You all want to go on vacation with me up at Deep Lake. Come on. At 81, she could have said, well, it was, it was a fun ride while it lasted, but she said, no, I'm going to be gone before too long, but I want to build a place where the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, five more generations can come, to know, come and hang out and hang out with the family. At Victory Faith, we have a 200-year vision for our church at Victory Faith. And who could have a 200-year vision? That's just crazy. But one way we describe it is... We want to pass the baton between five generations of leaders. So from the birth of the first generation, do this in your own family, and it should come out similar to this, from the birth of the first generation to the death of the fifth generation is usually about 180 to 200 years. So we're saying we're going to pass the baton between five generations. This fall, this November, I get to do the first baton pass to uh, Pastor Trevor Seaman at, at Victory Faith. He's going to take the baton and take Victory Faith further than I ever could take it. So there's one. We only got four to go. Four to go. Now, some people, when I talk about a 200-year vision, they kind of freak out. They go, well, Jesus is coming any day. And I'll, I'll, let me say this. If he shows up tomorrow, I will race you, I'll backstroke to heaven, and I'll beat you. Okay? that all right? I'll beat you. I just, I've been working on my backstroke. I'll beat you there. But I've been reading stories about saints and people that have been saying he's coming for thousands of years. So why don't we build as if he's not going to come for 200 years, live prepared as if he's coming in my heart tomorrow, but I want to build something that's going to last for generations. And if he interrupts us, fine, I'm out of here. I'll race you. I'll beat you. What I have seen through the years, because we have a generational vision, I've worked with so many young people, if mom and dad are standing at the bus stop saying, we're out of here, the kids start wandering away from Jesus. They say, wait a minute, I haven't lived my life yet, and you're standing at the bus stop saying, we're out of here? Anyway, that's a pet peeve, so I'll move on past that one. So as each generation made that cabin better and better, and I believe that's what God wants to do with each one of us here, that we get it within our spirit, that God help us, help me make it better for my kids, for my grandkids, and so that that momentum is growing and building through the generations. I showed the new picture. Yes, I did. All right. So, but some of us here, we don't understand the value of our stories. We don't understand how important our stories and the impact that they can have. So I wanted to just do a quick exercise here to help us with that. I have a $1 bill. I'm going to give that away. Who would like a $1 bill? Anybody? Come on, cowboy, right there. You come get this. $1 bill. Thank you, sir. You're amazing. All right. I have a $20 bill. 
Okay, got a little more action on the $20 bill. All right, young man back there in the black. Come on, come up here. All right, all right, good job. That's yours, $20 bill. All right. I have a $100 bill. Oh, I got some takers. All right, young man with two hands up right there. Hurry up up here. Come on. Come on. There you go. Good job. Thank you, sir. What a gentleman. Come on. I have a $1,000 bill. No, 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 I don't really. Listen, those were three pieces of green paper. But you understood the value was increasing. Listen, your story is a million dollar story. If you are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, if He has intersected your life, if He has got on your boat, then you have a million dollar story that needs to be told. It needs to be written down. You need to understand the value. Hell wants you to think your story means nothing. Your soul wants to buy into that you're nothing and your story doesn't mean nothing. I am telling you there are kids, grandkids, people that are dying and waiting to read your story, hear your story, and have it passed on through the generations so that they can be inspired that when all hell is breaking loose in their life, they can read about Grandpa Ralph, that Grandpa Ralph was going to die and God intervened in his life, and they can take hope and faith in that. Listen. You need to understand if Jesus has intersected your life, the King of glory is a part of your life and your story is important and it needs to be passed on. A question I have, which of your ancestors' choices have affected your life the most? Which of your ancestors' choices, for good or for bad, have influenced your life the most? Great thing to think about. Well, here's which of your achievements, your personal achievements, will have an eternal legacy? Great question to ask. And then I love asking this question, what could happen in the next two generations in your family? What could happen? And you could say, well, Craig, my family's a mess. Well, I'll tell you what, that cabin looked like a mess one day. I got pictures of that. It is just a pile of rubble on the ground. It is burnt. It is scorched. It looks like the legacy is done. But thank goodness, somebody had faith to see beyond the pile of rubble and say, no, we can build. So if you're sitting here today thinking my family or my story is a burnt pile of rubble, God says, well, if you'll give it to me, I'll make it into something beautiful. I'll make it into something beautiful. And people will be in awe of it in the days to come. This is a great... I wish I could tell you who this quote came from. Put up this quote if you would. What we do for ourselves usually dies with us. What we do for others lives beyond us. I, I just love that. It's a powerful quote. So now let me transition. I love warning you when I'm transitioning. I'm going to transition. So hopefully you're sitting there going... God, I want to build my personal legacy and I want to build my family legacy. And if that's the case, then if, if we want to build that legacy, shouldn't we want to build a church family legacy? Come on. And I want to tell you, you're already doing it. You're already, I walk around this place just from when we were here before. You guys have done amazing things around here. It's, it's amazing. Your influence, all that God's allowed you and helped you to do. I can go to the Bible and show you five levels or layers of destiny. 
When you and I stand before Jesus, I believe he's going to ask us about these five levels of destiny. Did you find out these areas of destiny? Number one is our personal destiny, and most people want to put all their time in that. It's important, but it's not the only thing. The second thing is we have personal destiny. The next layer is our family destiny. There is a destiny upon every family. And if you need to get grafted into a family to get a family, go for it. Graft, that, graft into the family you want to be a part of if you don't have one. The third level is church destiny. We are called to be planted in the Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish even in old age. We have a destiny. We should be finding out, God, where am I supposed to be planted? And if you're planted here, this is an amazing church. And if you're here and you're not planted, you need to get your tush planted in the house of the Lord. The fourth level is geographic God gives us, he tells us where we're supposed to live at certain times, and we need to find out what is the destiny upon that city or that region, and we need to help fulfill God's destiny over that city or region. The fifth one is a big one. David said, the Bible says David served the purpose of God in his generation. So there is a a destiny on every generation. Do you know what it is? We're alive right now. We are in the midst of a generation. Do we know what the destiny on this generation is? I believe part of it is God needs reformers. We need revivalists, absolutely, but reformers change culture. We need reformers. I believe that's part of the destiny on this, de- of this generation right now. But let me go back to uh, church, des- church destiny. Put up that next picture. Is that a gorgeous building or what? That is the Cathedral Church in Milan, Italy. I've been there. It is stunning, incredible. It's the largest church building in Italy. The Milan Cathedral took almost 600 years to build. 600. Aren't you glad they didn't quit? (laughs) They didn't quit. Generation after generation after generation after generation kept building and building. World War II interrupted it. I mean, certain things would shut it down, but a new generation kept grabbing a hold of the vision and raising it up. I love it. So as gorgeous, as incredible, and in person, it blows this away. In person, it is just breathtaking to see it. But as impressive as that is, God is building a house right here. And the house he's building here is way prettier than that. The house he's building, he is building a house for himself here in Old Town, Newport. He is building a house for himself here, and it is a gorgeous, gorgeous building. It's a gorgeous people. It's a spiritual temple, and he is using every joint to supply. See, one guy lifted his head back up there. I could tell he's an old druggie. Thought I was talking about joints. Finally got his attention. (laughs) Listen, it's important that you're here. If this is your first day, it's important that you're here. If you've been here from the beginning, I mean, you're coming up on 50 years. Talk about legacy. Holy moly. I'm a little bit godly jealous there. We celebrated 35 and you guys are down there 50. 
And listen, what an anomaly. That means what out of the, how out of the ordinary is it that you're going to celebrate 50 years and you are a church on fire, full of the Holy Ghost, generations, young and old. There's hardly any of those around that I'm aware of. You are blessed to be in the house that you're in. God is building a house. He's building a temple. And it's beautiful in His eyes, even more than that. And we need to start thinking about how do we build for the future? How do we, God, you're bringing people, you're wanting to take us to the next level. God, how, what, what is my part to play in that? I, I read a story years ago about a college being built in uh, England. And this college was built hundreds of years ago. They built it and in one of the big common rooms. It has these beams, uh, 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 timbers in the ceiling that are huge, massive. And uh, 200 years down the road, they started getting dry rot in those beams. So they're looking around. There's no trees big enough to replace these beams in this building. So they're digging around in the basement. They find a room uh, that someone had set aside and had plans and stuff in there. Someone 200 years before that knew there was going to be dry rot and that those beams would wear out. And 200 years before, they planted a grove of oak trees. How's that for prophetic? How's that for generational vision? Somebody said, listen, 200 years from now, we're going to need to replace those beams and there won't be any trees around big enough. So we're going to plant a grove of oak trees and in 200 years, they're going to be big enough. They're going to... And they went and found the grove and found the trees. Come on. Don't you want to be a part of that kind of vision? It says, come on, God. Come on, Jesus. What are we going to need a couple hundred years from now? What are we going to need 20 years from now? What are we going to need 10 years from now, God? I want to be a part of that, Jesus. I want to be where I'm up in heaven saying, Woohoo, we did that, Dad. Look where they're taking it now. Come on. Listen, you are a prophetic people. You can see the future. God wants us to see the future. And I, I know just being around you, being here today, man, the future is bright. The future is incredibly bright. You are sitting right now in a legacy. You're sitting in a legacy. You're enjoying a legacy. You're sitting in a legacy miracle. People sacrificed. Just since I've been here, what you have done is incredible to the facilities outside and in here what you've done. People sacrificed. People gave. People gave their sweat, their time, their labor, their finances. And you've been growing and building the church and it's beautiful. The people just as much as the facility. But it, it's, it's, we need to look into the future. God has done miracles at House of the Lord. Um, people have sacrificed, made huge steps of faith, and we're enjoying that fruit today. We are sitting in the fruit of people that had a vision to make things better here at House of the Lord. So your sacrifice, when you sacrifice to build the house of the Lord, that sacrifice goes on for generations. Think how many families have been changed. How many marriages have been changed over 50 years. Think about it. Think about the ripple effect going out around the world, literally, for the lives that have been changed here. Come on. So I, I just as people have sacrificed, it has brought so much blessing into so many people's lives. So how does the, what, what does the house of the Lord look like in the future? 20 years from now, 40 years from now, 100 years from now, should the Lord tarry? What, what does it look like? How is she going to expand her tent pegs? How is she going to grow and be all that God wants her to be? What could it look like 
20 years from now? What could it look like 40 years from now? Well, at Victory Faith in Spokane, um, we have been doing a legacy series four years in a row. In about November, we do a four or a five-part series, and we do just kind of what I've done. We talk about personal and family legacy, and then we talk about church legacy. And what we've done the last four years, at the end of that, we receive a, what we call a legacy offering. It's, it's, it's a game changer for us. And so what people do, it's not their tithe, so it's not your first, your best, your tenth. That's the tithe that already belongs to God. There's great promises that come when we tithe. But this is seeds. This is seeds. Our legacy offering is seeds. And so God, I'm going to read you some scriptures, what God says about when we plant seeds. He multiplies the seeds that we sow. So we have taken these legacy offerings over four years. You know what's come in, in the, over those four years? $2.4 million dollars wow is right. I mean, do you think that's been a game changer for us? Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you to everyone that is faithful in tithe. Tithe helps pastors and your leaders pay the bills, uh, pay salaries, do great things. But what we've been doing with this legacy offering lets us sit down and just dream crazy dreams. So the first year that we did it, what we got to do was we launched a new campus. The second year that we did it, we wanted to buy some land by our building. The guy wouldn't sell it. Praise the Lord. Bless him anyway. And um, so we, we added two years together for the third year and the second year. And we are just finishing right now an indoor playground in our building on Argonne in Spokane that's over a million dollars. And we paid cash for it. For the generations, we're, we're already been praying and soaking the ground, writing kids' names on the concrete that we believe are going to come in and going to get saved, our neighbors and different people. And then this last year, we just received that legacy offering, and we're buying a dorm for, we have a school of leadership, which is a discipleship school, and we're buying a dorm for our girls in the discipleship school, so they have housing for while they're going through school. I mean, this, it is... It has allowed us to dream crazy dreams. I'm not taking an offering. Relax. A couple of you are going. Martha, we need to leave right now. No offering. Not taking an offering. I'm just trying to cast vision to you. I'm telling you, it has been a game changer for us as a church to dream outside the box. God, nothing's impossible. What, what do you want to do? What, what, what crazy ideas that are far beyond what our ideas and our thoughts are? And I love those legacy offerings for two reasons. Number one, because it takes victory faith to a place you would never go otherwise. And number two, I love seeing people plant seeds and see God multiply the seeds and do miracles. And I, I, I'm going to tell you a, a miracle story or two, but I love seeing that happen. John 10.10 10 says this, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Is he not a stinker or what? That's his MO. Steal, kill, destroy. So this is Jesus telling us about the devil. And then, but Jesus says this, but I have come that you may have life. And that's the Greek word zoe. And it means the God kind of life. He says, I've come that you might live a life like I live. And he says, and that you may live it and have it more abundantly. So he says, I want you to live a life like me and even more abundantly. Listen what I looked up the Greek definition. This is a Bible definition. 
not Webster's, of that word, Greek word abundant. Listen what it means. Super abundant in quantity. Does that sound like a good thing? I'm in that line. Sign me up, Lord. Super abundant in quantity. Superior in quality. And this one I love the most. By implication, excessive. Now, I've been talking about finances, so somebody could get a little tweaked by that. Excessive finances. Why not? Hand it out. Hand it out. But think about this. How many of you would like excessive peace? Come on. Come on. Excessive. What do you mean, Craig? I mean, you got to give it away. You got to hand it out. If you got excessive peace, you got to hand it out. How about excessive joy? Come on. You got so much joy, you got to give it away. You got to give it out. I thought I heard one woman say, my husband needs that excessive joy. <laughs> it means overflowing, surplus, over and above. Listen, when we give our seeds, we need to understand the Bible says, I will multiply your seeds. The seeds that you've sown. Uh, Pastor Jeff shared this scripture last week, Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. Don't you hear excessive in that? It's not enough that he's just going to pour it. He's shaking the thing down. He's stomping it down, pushing it down, shaking it again. He's, I mean, he's saying, I'm going to fit everything in there I can. And when I'm done, it's going to be overflowing. We need to break our mindset sometimes. We, we, we think of natural fathers in the world. We think of tightwads in the world. That's not who our God is. Our God wants us to live an abundant, excessive life, excessive joy, excessive peace, and blessing on our finances. Thank you. I received that. One last scripture, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Then I'm leaving. Not right away. We're going to go hang out for a little bit. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. This scripture is talking about seeds. It says, here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest. Now, if you and I saw a farmer go out in a field and throw out 10 seeds and turn around and walk back into the barn... What would we think? Oh boy, going to be a bad harvest. <laughs> going to be really bad. That's what he's saying. Listen, a stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows with a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals. So in other words, he says, listen, I'm going to multiply back to you, and some of it's for you, food for you to eat, money for you to use. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant towards you. First, he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed you have sown, or as you sow it, so that the harvest of your generosity will grow. That's a promise from God, that he will multiply seeds. So in 2011, Moni and I got a revelation and a story out of this scripture that has changed our lives and our finances forever. So let me tell you a story. So um, Moni and I are both born and raised in Spokane. We live up on the South Hill in Spokane. We bought our house there in 1987, 36 years ago, still live there. 36 years ago, we paid 112000 for it. It's 3,500 square feet. 112,000 for it. We borrowed 100,000 to help us buy it. So we bought it, bought this house. We're on our merry way. We're living life, pastoring a church, going along. 
And in 2008, we had grown and we needed to get a new building and God brought across our path this insane, out of our realm of even thinking about building, which we're in today, um, 50,000 square feet, 350 car parks on Interstate 90 and uh, Argonne out in the valley in Spokane. So we're, we're saying, and did I tell you what, what year was? 2008. Anybody know what's going on in 2008? God has a sense of humor. Oh, sure, God, we can't even do it on a good day. And you're going to do it now. So in 2008, global meltdown financially around the world, we find this building. Um, I ran away from it at first. Then our elders talked me back into it. We got to go try. <laughs> um, anyway, so we're, we're going to do a capital campaign to raise some finances to buy the building. So Moni goes separately to go pray. I go pray separately. Well, God, what do you want us to do? This is such a big deal. This is going to change our church forever. The trajectory of our church will be changed forever. So I go pray, and the Lord, I feel like the Lord says, I want you to give 40000 and I want you to give 10000 in the original offering, and then pay the 30000 over three years. Now, there's only two problems with that. Can anybody come up with the two problems? We didn't have the ten, and we didn't have the forty. Minor problem, right? So I thought, Moni's going to save our bacon. We're going to get back together and talk about what did you hear from the Lord. She's going to hear a hundred or a thousand or fifteen hundred or something like that. So we get together. I'll never forget. She goes, I felt like the Lord said forty thousand. Oh. 40000 and we're supposed to give 10000 up front. Well, and we're both going, this is scary. <laughs> this is very scary. Because scary because God's in this, I think. We both heard the same thing, which was outrageous to us. So we said, okay, the original offerings in a week or two, let's start praying and say, God, okay, you know, we don't got it, but you do. So we start, we start praying. We do, Moni and I do a healing school. We've done it all around the country. I've done it in a number of other nations and seen amazing miracles. We had just a month before that done a healing school at Victory Faith, and we had a gentleman come that was dying of terminal prostate cancer. And the doctors had given up. They'd done everything they could for him, and his, he was too far gone. They couldn't help him. He comes in, and healing school lasted three days. Over three days, he got totally healed. Totally healed. Yeah, come on. So, we're within a week of the offering, I get a letter in the mail from him, and there's a letter in there, and he's thanking us, whatever, and in with the letter is a check for $10,000. My first thought was, whoa, we didn't pray for him to get healed to get money out of this thing. And right after I heard, I heard that, or I said that, I felt like the Lord said, hey dummy, that's your $10,000. So Moni and I signed the check over to the church and woohoo, we were on our way. We got our first miracle. So we're rolling along and we're making that payment every month. It stretched us big time some months. Then we finally get to three years later, 2011, we make our last payment. Make our last payment. I think we made it a month or two early in 2011. Now here's where the story gets good. So in 2011, we make that last payment. At that moment when we made that last payment, can you guess what we owed on our house? $100,000. So embarrassing. We still owed $100,000. 24 years later, I'd love to tell you our furnace, we had to replace our furnace, we had to replace the roof. I'd love to tell you all the things, but that's just justification. Um, 
24 years later, we still owed $100,000 on our house. From the moment we made that last payment on the $40,000 to help buy the church, over the next 12 months, God paid our house off. God paid our house off, $100,000. I've had people tell me, well, Craig, you got an inheritance. No, we did not. We had to help relatives financially that year. God brought in the most crazy, insane money from different places, and we just kept putting it down and putting it down and putting it down. And when we got 12 months out, we were debt-free. So this scripture became a miracle to us. And since 2011, Moni and I have tried every year and have been very successful to give 20 to 25% of what we get in, we give out. We give our tithe to the church and more to the church but we want to have seed going into the ground. And what I just told you is not even our biggest miracle we've seen, biggest financial miracle. Since we have discovered the sowing of seeds and allowing God and believing God to multiply it, we have seen incredible financial miracles. Craig, why are you telling us this? Well, number one, I want to build your faith. Hopefully it builds your faith. Number two, what I see at the house of the Lord it's going to take a whole bunch of things in the coming future. It's going to take people sacrificing, giving, laboring, working to build the house of God that God wants to build here at House of the Lord. And so when that day comes and pastor comes to you and says, hey, we need to build this building or we need to do that, I hope you go back and think of that crazy Craig that came in here and talked to you about miracles when you sow seeds into the kingdom of God and into good ground. Amen? Let me put up one more quote, and then I'm done. Hallelujah. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren said this. Did we have it? I'm not sure. Did I give it to you? Maybe I didn't. Worship team. Could I get the worship team? Look how prophetic they are. I was supposed to call them up. How pathetic is that? They're prophetic. I'm pathetic. I guess we don't have it. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren said this. You make a living by what you get. You leave a legacy by what you give. So I think the Lord sent me here to tell you, dream big. Amen. Dream big over your family. If you've got prodigals, bless God, they can't get away from prayer. They might say, mom or dad, you don't pray for me. Grandma, grandpa, you don't pray for me. They can't stop your prayers. Believe big for your kids, for your grandkids. That if they're far from Jesus, he is well able to bring them in under the blood of the Lamb. But I want you to dream big for house of the Lord. Because I can feel God brooding over this house. I can feel him. Let me read you quick a scripture that the Lord told me to prophesy over this house. It's in Isaiah chapter 2. Starts in verse 2. It says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord. The mountain. I felt, Pastor, like that the mountain was important because the mountain was, mountain was elevated. There was favor. There was recognition in that mountain. And he's talking about the mountain of the house of the Lord. It shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all of the nations, I love this, all of the nations will flow into it. I, I see God bringing people just like he brought in crazy money to pay off my debt. I see God bringing people in from crazy places into this region, into this house. I could just see them lined up coming in the house, coming in the house. What you got here, people are dying for. What you have here, people are dying for. 
Let's not settle on just me and my four and no more. Let's not just settle with what we've got. Let's dream God's dreams. Let's believe for thousands and hundreds more. Other campuses, whatever God wants to do. He said, and all the nations shall flow into it and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Amen. Let's dream big dreams over our family, over our church. <laughs> Let's dream big dreams over our nation. Dear God, help us. But you know, Abraham's body was dead at 100. Sarah's 90. She's no longer shooting any eggs down the tubes. It's impossible. And if God could bring a child into that situation, he can turn America around. He is the God of the miracles. Let me finish with this. In 1977, I grew up and I didn't know Jesus. I'd only been church twice in my life. Went to a Presbyterian church for Easter once and I hated it because my mom put dippity-doo. Anybody remember dippity-doo? She put dippity-doo in my hair. I was a helmet head, it was awful. And the whole time they're sitting there talking about Jesus, I'm fuming because I have a helmet on my head. Never knew Jesus. <laughs> I got way off course, sorry about that. 1977, my best friend got saved and my second best friend got saved and they started praying for me and it was all over. And in 1977, the trajectory of my life changed forever. And I, I accepted Jesus. I thought I'd been too bad. I thought I'd done too much. And God got a hold of me. And my life has been changed ever since. I believe there might be somebody here today. God brought you here today to change the trajectory of your life forever. Listen, maybe somebody's here that you're tormented by the past. Something was done to you or you did something to someone else and it torments you today. It may have been years ago, but you can't get free from it. Jesus is the only one who can heal your past and set you free from that torment. Or maybe you were like me. I remember laying out on the lawn uh, and looking up at the stars and thinking, why am I here? Why am I on the planet? What's beyond this? What's beyond that? And I would blow a fuse. I didn't know why I was on planet Earth. Listen, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He created you. He put you here on the earth for such a time as this. He knows you. And I believe maybe there's somebody here today. You don't know why you're on planet earth. Jesus is your answer. He has a plan for your life. If you're 80, if you're 90, if you're 10, if you're 20, whatever you are, it is never too late to step on that train with Jesus and move into your destiny and your future.